Let me take just a moment to ask you, if you will, please, to uh, turn with me to the 12th chapter of the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 12, and we're just moving right through this book as we study together Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evenings. And it won't be long before we have taken this journey through the entire book of Exodus. Tonight's message is entitled, Five Minutes Until Midnight. Five Minutes Until Midnight. I'm convinced that in this service this evening, there are some people who do not know how precariously you are positioned right now. You have no idea how close you are to spending forever in hell. During the days of the Great Awakening in our nation's earliest history, one of the messages uh, which stirred the hearts of a lot of people was preached by a man named Jonathan Edwards. And he preached a message entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He preached it to a church and to a society which had such a casual approach to the Christian faith that it was astounding to Edwards. It grieved him that the people in his congregation who came week after week were members of his church. It grieved him to consider that many of them probably did not genuinely know Christ as their Savior. They were very religious. They're like many people here this evening. You've gone out of your way. You're a Sunday night Christian. Not just a Sunday morning, you're a Sunday night Christian. You've come to the service this evening. You are really glued in to the activity part of the Christian life. But he knew that in terms of genuinely having repented of sin, that it was obvious that many people in his congregation had never done that. And it was obvious to him that they had not done that because their lives evidenced no real change. If you were to follow them around during the week, yes, they were in church on Sunday morning and they were hearing the preaching and they were very faithful and they gave, you know, when the time came to give. But if you were to follow them around during the week, you would discover very little difference between the way they acted and the way people who were openly outright unashamed of the fact that they were lost were acting. And that was just watching what they did. Now, if you could have climbed into their hearts or if you could have walked around in their thoughts and seen put up on a big screen the things they were thinking about during the week, Edwards knew this would be, this would be a, an abomination to God. And so here they were. They looked so churchy. They looked so right. They're here like we are this evening. And it grieved him that so many people in his congregation were that way. God was moving through the country at that time. The truth of the matter is, it was spawn, he was spawning what we call the Great Awakening, but America was in a terrible moral decline. On some of the college campuses, colleges that were started in the name of churches, you could scarcely find a Christian professor, much less a Christian student, who truly believed in the Lord and who lived a life that was consistent with the way the Bible says a Christian life should be lived. But yet there were all these people out there. They had come to a mandatory chapel, just like his church members came to church. It was sort of a mandatory thing. But there was no evidence of their life. There was no victory over sin in their life. There was no holiness in their life. And so he preached this sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He didn't preach it like you hear most sermons preached. 
Jonathan Edwards had a very feeble voice. He was extremely nearsighted. He wore glasses that were so thick they looked like Coke bottles. You know, they wouldn't have known what a Coke bottle was. Just big, thick glasses. He did not preach extemporaneously. He read from a manuscript. And he held the manuscript right up to his eyes in the darkness of that church. And he just began reading his message, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And God so seized upon that message, and God's Spirit began to so convict people that all across that church, people began to gasp and cry out as they saw how precariously they were hung on just a thread at that moment. In fact, the picture that Edwards painted was of being held on just a spider thread and dangled out over the pits of hell, and that it was only the grace of God that that thread itself even existed, and it would break at any moment, and people began to cry out to God for His mercy and His grace, and on that message and similar messages, God brought into America such a time as this country has never, been, has never seen before. We call it the Great Awakening. An incredible moment. We are, we are in desperate need of that kind of awakening in our nation. If we come to the end of the year 2000, we will have come for the first time as a nation through a 100-year period without there having been a great awakening, a nationwide revival that has shaken us, that has moved us back to our spiritual roots. And we are in desperate need of such awakening. The very news of this week, the horrors that we have witnessed and heard about this week are a reminder that our society is so decadent. And many of these who are practicing the very things that are an abomination of the Lord, the truth of the matter is while they practice them during the week, they're in church on Sunday. And you might look at your own life. What do you watch? What do you think? How do you spend your money? What would you really like? In the secrets of your heart, are there thoughts that you know are an abomination to God, imaginations that are an abomination to God? Are there things that you do that you think are so hidden away they're not hurting anyway, but you know God ponders a man's life because the ways of a man are before the eyes of God? How do you talk? How do you spend your money? What are your habits? What is your devotional life? What is your prayer life? You see, there are many, many people who come to church but who do not genuinely know the Jesus they hear preached about week after week in the church. The title of the message this evening is Five Minutes Until Midnight. I do not think that Pharaoh had the ghost of an idea how close Egypt was to the most incredible devastation. The firstborn in every home and the firstborn of all the cattle killed outright in a moment. I mean, you would have thought that after uh, all the plagues that Pharaoh would have come to have taken Moses and the God of Moses seriously. But you know, when you just start sort of hardening your heart, listen, when you get used to hearing spiritual things and seeing spiritual stuff, it's very easy to stop being moved by any of it. And out here across Egypt, the land was devastated. I mean, it had been reduced to shambles. And Pharaoh was asleep when this happened. Asleep. Having been warned, Pharaoh was asleep when this happened. It's amazing how ridiculously, stubbornly, 
hard a person's heart can become when you get used to hearing holy things, seeing the hand of God, and not responding. So I'm going to ask you, if you will, please, to stand with me. We're going to read verses 29 and 30, and I'll try to read those verses instead of some other verses tonight. We'll read verses 29 and 30 of Exodus chapter 12. Now, you're going to need to keep your Bible open because we're going to go all the way back to chapter 5, and we're going to move right through several chapters in these next few moments. Before I read this passage of Scripture, I want you to imagine that behind me is a huge clock. The little hand is on 12, and the big hand is on 11. And you just look up that clock and you say, that is five minutes until midnight. And we're going to take this minute hand, and we're going to move from five to four to three to two to one and to midnight in these next few moments as we think about five minutes until midnight. Read aloud with me, if you will, please, beginning with verse 29. There are just two verses. The words will be on the screen. Let's read aloud together. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Can you imagine? Not a house where there was not at least one person in a moment dead. Five minutes until midnight. Father in heaven, I pray, trusting that in these next few moments your Holy Spirit will reach through this auditorium, touch the heart of any person who is unconverted, any person who's just playing at Christianity, any person for whom this is just a game, any person for whom this is just a social experience. And Lord, my prayer is that you stir every one of us with the awareness that we don't have you in some kind of a box. We can't make you deliver us on our timetable. You give us that moment. Speak to us by your Holy Spirit. But yet, Father, show us that with the hardness of our heart, we can refuse and end up spending our forever, our eternity, separated from you in hell. Show us the truth of that, Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. Five minutes until midnight. Look at that big hand right back behind my head here. That big hand. The little hand is on 12. 12 midnight. The big hand is on five. So let's think. What is five minutes and counting? Well, that's when you deride, listen, that's when you deride the majesty of God. You just start, you start sort of making fun of God. Go back to chapter 5, if you will, please, just for a moment. Just thumb back through your Bible from chapter 12 to chapter 5. In verse 1 of chapter 5, we find this simple statement of Moses to Pharaoh. He says, I want to introduce myself. My name's Mr. Moses. This is my sidekick, Aaron. He's going to do most of the talking because I stutter just a little bit. But we have a message from you. This message comes from God. And God says, let my people Israel go out of this bondage and slavery of Egypt. Look at verse 2, the first part of verse 2. 
Pharaoh responds by saying, with a laugh, you can almost hear his laugh, who is God? I mean, who is this guy anyway? Who are you talking about? God. Your God says, let these people go. Who is this God anyway? Deriding the majesty of God. Now listen, the scripture says that we should not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Most of us growing up, grow up um, hearing something like this. Well, that means that when you curse, don't ever use the word God when you curse. Now, I'll be honest with you. There is nothing, listen, there is nothing that causes a cold chill to run down my back more than to hear somebody say, Oh, God, or Jesus Christ. I mean, that just makes my blood run cold. I have actually asked people when they've used that as an expletive, I've said, oh, do you know my Lord? Huh? What are you talking about? Now, that's part of what that commandment means. But in a broader sense, taking the name of the Lord God in vain means to take God lightly. It means to do what Pharaoh did. You know, God's just, who is this God? Who does he think he is? What do you think God can do? How big do you think he is? Sort of picturing God like some grandfather in the sky. Well, if he's up there, he must be one of many gods up there. He, he couldn't be a very powerful God, and he's sure not running the universe well, but just taking God lightly, joking about God, laughing about God, being around holy things so much that they lose their significance to you? Do you know that some of the people who are most guilty of deriding the majesty of God are people who are closest within the church? And they get so familiar with the church and so familiar with church language and so familiar with church events and so familiar with the uh, church people that after a while, the things of God become a mockery to them. And they become desensitized. It loses its sense of holiness. It loses its sense of reverence to them to just come together to worship God. They just lost all of that. Deriding the majesty of God. And let me just ask you to write this down. Five minutes and counting when you deride the majesty of God. If you have friends or if you are a person who just sort of laughs about God, jokes about God, doesn't take God seriously, doesn't read the Word of God, and what you read, you really don't care whether you do or you don't do. As you go through your day, you, do, you, you encounter things, you say, I know God says I shouldn't do this, but who cares? You've come to a point where you deride the majesty of God. In your life, you're saying just what Pharaoh's saying, who is God? Now, let me ask you, do you do that at all? Do you do that at all? If so, you are at five minutes until midnight and counting. And then that minute hand moves, and now it's four minutes until midnight and counting. Well, how do we get to four minutes until midnight? Well, that's when you defy God's message. First, you deride God's majesty. Now you defy God's message. You just look at, you hear what God says, and you say, I, I know that might be God, and I know that's what he's saying, but I'm not going to do it. 
I hope you still have your Bible open in chapter 5 and verse 2 because there we find some more of Pharaoh's response. Pharaoh says, I don't know the Lord, and guess what? I'm not going to let the people go. I'm just not going to do it. You have no idea, no idea whatsoever how close you are to never receiving Christ as your Savior when you come to a point in your life where you say, I know God says that, but I'm just not going to do it. I just don't care. I will not do it. Jesus told a parable one time about two men who built a house. He preceded that parable with this statement. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say unto you? Now, he's speaking about what he says and what we do in response to what he says. And he's saying here, don't call me Lord if you don't do what I say. And then he tells a story about two men. And one of these rep men represents what it's like to hear what the Lord says and to do it. The other of these men represents what it's like to hear what the Lord says and just not do it. He says, now the man who hears what I say, here's my message, and decides to obey is like a man who has built his house upon the rock. And the wind blew, and the floods came, but the house stood strong, stood firm. But he said, a man who hears what I say, I mean, he knows that I'm saying this. He said, I know God wouldn't want me to do this good night live. I mean, it's no secret. I, I have people tell me all the time, preacher, I shouldn't be doing it. Oh, preacher, you know, this, this is just terrible. I know what the Bible says about it. Well, a person who hears what the Lord says and doesn't do it is like a person who builds his house on sand. And the winds come and the rains come and the flood beats against it and it collapses. Some time ago, I was sitting with a young couple who was anticipating getting married. And I said to them, you don't understand how important it is to do what God says. We were talking about worshiping the Lord and giving our hearts, acknowledging him as Lord. And as a matter of fact, I was just, I was just in my own heart, I was, I was reticent even to proceed because I did not sense that there was any heart for doing the things of God. And I finally ended my, my uh, counseling time with them by saying this. I said, I'm sorry. I cannot proceed with you until you all go away and pray about this very important issue. Are you going to do what God says? Because if you are not going to do what God says, your home, listen, doesn't have a prayer. See, you're at four minutes and counting. When you hear this message of God and you just defy it, who is this Lord? I'm not going to let these people go. I know what he wants. I'm not going to let him go. Well, what means that moves that hand? Five minutes, we deride God's majesty. Four minutes, we defy God's message. What moves that hand to three minutes before midnight and counting? Well, look at it, if you will, please. You're three minutes and counting when you dismiss God's messenger. Now turn over to chapter 10, verse 28. Chapter 10, verse 28. And here we find Pharaoh in one of his last encounters with Moses. And Pharaoh, we read this last week, Pharaoh says to Moses, get away from me. Here he's had these nine plagues. Moses is going to tell him about the tenth one in a matter of minutes. And Pharaoh says, get away from me. You better watch yourself, buddy. That's what it means, take heed to yourself. Buddy, you better watch yourself. 
You better make sure that you don't see me again. For in the day that you see me, you're going to die. Isn't that amazing? Here's Pharaoh. He knows Moses has an incredible end with God. His land lay, lies, lays waste because of it. Moses is just about to tell him about the fact that at midnight, the firstborn in every home is going to die. And Moses, and he says to Moses, he's, buddy, you better get out of here. And if you're going to watch anything, you better watch your step. You better make sure your path and my path never cross. If it does, you are going to die. And Moses said, well, you got one part of that right. I won't see your face again. You're right about that. What did he do? He dismissed God's messenger. Now listen, one of the things that um, we do here at First Southern is we tell people about Jesus. I mean, we love telling people about Jesus. I, uh, you're going to hear a testimony uh, sometime in the future. I don't know when we're going to do this about one of our Dear ladies here in our church, and I'm not going to steal her thunder, but she, she heard a lady on the other side of a curtain in the emergency room this past week and went over and shared the gospel with her and led her to Jesus. The lady was wanting to commit suicide. You know, it's just on the heart of people here at First Southern to share the gospel with people. It's on the heart of this preacher to preach. It's on the heart of all of our staff members, on the heart of our Sunday school staff, everybody who teaches. It's just on our heart is this business of sharing the message of the gospel. And you know what it's like to go out and to share the message of the gospel and for somebody to treat you with uh, arrogance and pride and, and basically say, there's the door. I'm sure you know what that's like. I sure know what that's like. For somebody to, to look at you and say, well, if you feel like you really want to share that, go ahead and share that. Or look, I'm really in a hurry. You okay? I'm really in a hurry. I've got this TV program. Watch. No, 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 don't turn that down. If you want to tell me something, do it while the TV's going and I'm, I'm going to have my eyes glued to it. You go ahead and tell me what you want to tell me. And basically, they're trying to get you out of their life. People come to church and do that. You can do that sitting right here in church. Some of y'all are doing that to me right now. You haven't gotten up and left physically, but your brain's gotten up and left. You're thinking about, you know, as soon as I get out of here, as soon as I go away, I got to do this in the car, go by and eat, going to meet these people, going to do that. I wish you'd hurry up. My wife told me I had to be here. Man, we're going to be late today. And, and you haven't left physically, but your heart has left. Jesus said it was like this. He said, there are people who are, are close to me with their mouth, but their heart is far from me. And the, listen, the sad thing is this. When you dismiss God's messenger... When you, say, when, when you say, look, I wish this would hurry up and get over. I don't want to hear that. When you dismiss God's messenger, you think you're dealing with God's messenger. You're not. You're dealing with God. See, you think that you're just not listening to me. You think that you're just not listening to the person who's begging with you to give your heart to God. That mother, that father, that husband, wife, that son and daughter, and they're begging you, Daddy, Mom, give your heart to God. Son, daughter, brother, sister, give your heart to God. Friend, please give your heart to God. And you're dismissing them like Pharaoh dismissed Moses. And you think that you're just dismissing them. No, they are God's representatives sent to you. The very fact you're hearing from them about trusting Jesus is an act of God's mercy and God's grace. And so you're at three minutes. You're very close to midnight. You're at three minutes and counting when you dismiss God's messenger. 
Well, what causes that big hand to move to two minutes and counting? Well, you're at two minutes and counting when you disdain God's mandate. God gives you a deadline and you laugh at it. God says, this is the way it's supposed to be. And you think that's the funniest thing you ever heard. Let's look at it. Look at the scripture, if you will, please. Chapter 11, and let's look at verse 4. Moses said to Pharaoh, here's what God is trying to tell you. About midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sits upon his throne, even of the firstborn of the maidservant that's behind the mill, and all the firstborn of the beast. Listen, here's God's mandate. Trust me, you don't. Let these people go. If you don't, here's what's going to happen. And Pharaoh just said, God won't do that. You disdain God's mandate. And a preacher stands up here and says, if you don't trust Jesus, you'll go to hell. And you say in your heart, God won't do that. And he says, that, no, this is really for sure. You don't even have as much time as you think you do. And you say, God wouldn't do that. Yes, I do. I got all the time I want. And your mother says, honey, won't you trust Jesus? And your husband says, sweetheart, won't you give your heart to Jesus? And your wife says, honey, it would make all the difference in the world if you trusted Jesus. If you don't, it's not going to be right. You won't spend forever with God in heaven. You say, God won't do that. You disdain God's mandate. Pharaoh, you would have thought, I mean, what? how stupid a hard-hearted man looks. I mean, if he, if he would have gone to the window and looked out across Egypt, man, flies, lice, blood, crops torn, dead cattle, piles of frogs. And every one of those, Moses said, look, if you don't do this, God's going to, and, and, and God had done it. And now Moses says, listen, God's going to move through this land. Death is going to come to your home. If you don't let these people go in favor, God won't do that. He's just not going to do that. And in your heart tonight, you know that when we come to the close of this service, this preacher is going to give an invitation. I'm going to ask you to come give your heart to Jesus, and I'm going to say something like, if you don't, I'm going to tell you something, your future out there is an eternity in hell, and you're going to say, God won't do that. You're at two minutes and counting. Well, what moves that big minute hand to one minute and counting? So close to midnight. Well, you're at one minute in counting when you dispute God's methods. When you say, well, well, God's not going to do it that way. Or I don't like the way that God's doing it. Look with me, if you will, please, at verse 10 of chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 10. And notice what the scripture says here. It's very interesting. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh... And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He just let Pharaoh become what Pharaoh wanted to be. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Notice this. So that he would not let the children of Israel go out of his land. They did all those wonders. And Moses just said, I don't, I don't like that. I, if you think that's God speaking to me, you dispute God's methods. And here's what this means. Some of you tonight are trying to tell God how he's got to save you. And this preacher is going to give an invitation. You're going to say, I don't like invitations. And he's going to ask you to come to this altar. And you say, I don't like to go to that altar. Or somebody's going to come to you and say, look, if, if, if you want to get to heaven, you need to repent of sin. You're going to say, I don't want to repent of sin. 
Well, if you're going to go to heaven, you need to trust in Jesus. Well, I don't want to trust in Jesus. That's not the way I want to go to heaven. I remember visiting right over here uh, in the Embers uh, uh, area of uh, Bell City. And uh, well, sitting in a home. In fact, I was sitting on the fireplace hearth, and the husband was sitting right across from me in an easy chair. And I said, would you give your heart to Christ? And he said, I want to do that sometime. But he says, here's preacher. He said, I got a picture of the way it's going to happen. He said, he said, you watch. One of these days, you're going to get me. That told me right off the bat that he was totally unaware that God was trying to save his life forever. He said, you're going to get me as if I was trying to get it. He said, uh, here's what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to come to that church. You just watch and see. I'm going to come to that church. It's going to be just like Billy Graham. I'm going to sit back there at the back. Y'all are going to be singing just as I am. He said, I've got this so clear in my mind. This is the way it's going to happen. You're going to sing just as I am. And I'm going to walk down that aisle. I'm going to surprise you, preacher. One of these days, I'm going to give my heart to God. He didn't have one of those days. He's never darkened the door of this church. And that's been 13 years ago, to my knowledge. You know what he does? He just disputes God's methods. I don't want to do it that way. You mean God sent you out here to my home so I could receive Christ right now by opening my heart, repenting of sin, and trusting in Jesus? You're asking me to pray and receive Christ by faith as my Savior? I don't want to do it that way. I don't want to walk down the aisle. I don't want to give my life to Jesus. I don't want to repent of sin. I don't want to be involved in church. I don't want there to be a change in my life. I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to do it that way. You don't get a vote. Don't you realize you are at one minute until midnight? when you dispute God's methods. And some of you maybe already have your argument tonight. Well, my family's here. Well, my friends are here. Well, I'm too far back there. Well, I'm too close up. Well, I want to do it some other night. We've already got plans. We've got friends who'd be waiting. I've got friends we've got to go to school. I've got to do homework tomorrow. I've got to get all this stuff done. And if I do this, and, and, God, and you're just disputing God's methods. God is saying, look, here is a way you can receive eternal life tonight. And you say, well, I just don't want to do it right now. Not that way. Not that way. But what causes that big hand to hit midnight? Well, there's no time remaining when you disregard God's moment. There's no time remaining when you disregard God's moment. I find it incredible. that Pharaoh could hear what Moses said, look out across his country that looked like a trash dump by now. I mean, God had broken, I mean, Greenpeace did not love God that year. The environmentalists, man, it, 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 they really would have been upset with God. Look out from the window of his, hear what Moses said, Pharaoh, God's gonna move through this land. You know what Pharaoh did? Pharaoh went home, went to bed, and went to sleep. How do you know that that happened? Because the scripture says that he was asleep when the firstborn in his house was killed. Notice what the scripture says. It came to pass that at midnight, the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, all the firstborn of the cattle, and so Pharaoh got up. The moment had passed. 
Pharaoh finally did what he could have done days earlier and saved the lives of all those people and saved his country, he said, okay, let them go. But it's too late. Down there in a room someplace in Pharaoh's palace, his oldest boy was not just sick. His oldest boy was dead. Out in the homes of all of his servants, he heard weeping because in every home, the eldest, the firstborn, had died. People were running through the streets, weeping and wailing and begging the Israelites to go and giving them everything they could. I mean, they were just giving them from the abundance of their land, begging them, here, take this silver, take this gold, take anything you want, just get out of this country. See, now it's one minute past midnight. And it's too late. When you disregard God's moment. What is God's moment? God's moment is that moment that's going to occur in your heart tonight. When we stand and these praise singers begin leading us in invitation. And you feel that little sense that God is ready for you to give your heart to him. God is ready for you to trust in Jesus, to believe on him, to repent of sin and believe in Jesus that you might have eternal life. There's that moment. He's ready for you, church member, Sunday school teacher, usher, deacon, committee member, staff member, staff family member. He's ready for you. He's saying, this is your moment. You know the truth. You know that you have never repented and truly believed in Jesus. You've played a game. You've been to church. You've got that smile. You've got everybody faked out. Everybody is fooled but God. And there's God's moment. Here you are in school. You're in the Bible study. You're active on Wednesday night with the youth group. Man, you're in the student ministry. You're doing all this stuff. You got everybody fooled. But this is God's moment when he says, be honest. Be honest. It's midnight. Don't disregard God's moment for you to trust in Jesus, for you to say yes to him. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Father in heaven, how I pray that tonight you would just break through, just break down all the sham and the pretense. Lord, there's students here, there are moms and dads here, there's singles, there's parents here. Lord, tonight, who for many years have played the game they've gotten so good at, they've almost got themselves deceived. For in your word you say, even the deceiver is the deceived. And so they've played this game so much, they've almost, they've got themselves in an airtight box. They've got these little phrases that they say to try to convince themselves that they're really saved when they're not. And Lord, they've watched this hand move from five minutes to four minutes to three to two. <clears throat> and now, Lord, this is the moment. I pray they would not sleep through this moment. They pray they would not disregard this moment. Going out of here thinking, well, I'll do this another day. I'll do this another time. Pharaoh probably thought, well, if this happens, I'll live to see another plague. 
how sad throughout all the land of Egypt death didn't change your plan one iota God you were still Jesus King of Kings and Lord of Lords your people moved out in glory and majesty with a high hand with a happy heart they moved out of the bondage of Egypt people will go on moving out of the bondage and slavery of sin but Lord they'll leave behind those who at five or at four or at three or at two or at one minute before midnight still laughed at you your message your messenger didn't like your methods ignored your mandate and now Lord they're on the verge of even disregarding the moment father you do not owe one person in this auditorium one other moment in which to receive Jesus to trust in him to believe in him to repent you don't owe us one more minute if there are people who've never heard the gospel once why should anybody in this auditorium hear it twice or three times or 300 times or 3,000 times again oh Lord in the quietness and stillness of this hour do business with every one of us. And I pray it in Jesus' precious name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. In a few moments, the praise singer is going to lead us in this hymn of invitation. Would you do this? Would you ask yourself this question? Is there anything in my life that's been moving that hand closer and closer to midnight? Do I make fun of God? Do I deride His majesty, not take Him seriously? Do I know what God is saying but just refuse to do it? Do I defy his message? Have the messengers of God who deliver to me faithfully the true message of salvation, have they become a laughing matter to me? Do I defy and dismiss God's messengers? When somebody says, God says this and you better believe it, do I disdain that mandate and say, no, he wouldn't do that? Do I dispute his methods? Anything in your life that's moving that hand toward midnight? Tonight, would you repent? Would you confess? Would you come to this altar? Find one of these counselors and say, I want to trust Jesus tonight. That's my desire. I want to trust Jesus tonight. I'm going to ask our counselors to stand right here, if you would, all across the auditorium. I want to trust Jesus tonight. I don't want to wait, not another minute, but I want to trust Jesus tonight. And when we stand and sing, Wherever he leads, I'll go. Would you come to this altar where he's leading you right now to receive Christ as your Savior? I'm trusting Jesus. Now, other people are going to be coming. Our prayer warriors will be coming. Others will be coming to this altar to pray for people who are so close to midnight in their life. I'm going to ask those who've made decisions, such as the one who was baptized tonight. You've joined our church just in recent days, maybe this morning. We've not introduced you to your new church family. Come be seated over here to your right where it says seating for new members. So they'll be coming. Others will be coming. But even if they weren't, are you going to let midnight come and go and it be too late forever? Because you can't make God speak to you again. He works his will, his way, his time, not yours. And if this is his moment, would you open your heart to him? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand together. Father in heaven. I pray there would not be one person here tonight who would disregard this moment. Lord, may pretense and sham and fakery 
all fade away. May we be absolutely honest with you, I pray in Jesus' name.